So, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to invite you to turn there. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 this morning as we return to our, our study in Ephesians. Researchers have proven what every mother already knows instinctively. Gratitude doesn't come naturally to kids. In her book entitled The Gift of Thanks, Margaret Visser cites a study which observed how parents teach children to say hi, goodbye, and thanks. The kids in this study said hi spontaneously 27% of the time. I mean, nobody had to say anything to them. They were able to say goodbye without any prompting 25% of the time. But they could only say thanks without prompting 7% of the time. The responses were significantly greater when prompted by parents. Parents prompted their kids to say hi 28% of the time. They prompted them to say goodbye 33% of the time. But they had to prompt them 51% of the time to get them to say thank you. Researchers concluded that children have a much more difficult time learning to say thank you. Most kids learn to say thank you before they know what it means. This may be a good insight for us as parents. They they need to learn to say thank you before they know what it means. When they mature and are trained later they experience the emotion of gratefulness Uh, the words come first the feelings come later visser concluded that learning to be thankful involves a steep learning curve children have to be brought up to be grateful They don't bring themselves up if you expect a child to be thankful without anybody training them to be thankful. Visser also states that once we learn to be grateful, we seldom forget. Such phrases as thank you become so ingrained in us that when we've lost almost everything, meaning our mind... These phrases like thank you are still there. Um, And as an example, people suffering from Alzheimer's disease, thank you often survives when everything else is lost. People must be taught to be thankful. God wants his people to be thankful. It's an important part of training our kids. Now, some of us need to be trained as adults, too, because we didn't get it along the way. I probably learned more about being thankful for my wife than I did anybody else in all the world. Um, today, Ephesians chapter 5, walk where you walk. You might step in something you don't want to. Walk. Watch where you walk. Here's the passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes, Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 
But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. But rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So, walk, watch where you walk. Um, as, we, as we jump into Ephesians 5, let me, a little reminder about where we've been. Ephesians, if you remember, kind of breaks down into two, two major sections. The first section focuses on uh, our position in Christ, and then the last three focus on what our practice should be as followers of Christ. The uh, first three is about doctrine, what, what Scripture says, and then the last three are about duty, what we are to do. The first three are about our identity, our identity in Christ. The last three about our experience, what we should experience in our walk with Christ. So, um, verse 1 and 2. Walk in a way that is fitting for God's holy family. Watch where you walk. Walk in a way that is fitting for God's holy family. And this idea of walk comes from, it's translated several different ways in Ephesians 5 uh, in different versions. To live or to walk is the same idea. One word, it means the same thing. It's about one step at a time, moving forward, living it out, living out your faith. Uh, the first, in, first, in verse 1, it says, follow God's example in the newest NIV, and then in my old NIV, it says, be imitators, imitators of God. All of my study, I was using this concept of imitation. And I was going to do these really cool illustrations about imitation. And I was going to entitle the sermon, Imitators. And then when I got to the newest text, it's not even there. So, imitate your heavenly Father. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Um, what did God do that we can follow? You know, he's the creator of the universe. You, we probably can't repeat that one. Um, we are created in the image of God, so we do have some creative uh, abilities. Uh, he raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, we probably won't be able to do that one either. Um, a lot of miracles he did. He we're probably not going to do all those same miracles, although it might not be impossible to do some miracles. Uh, God is all-powerful. That's not going to happen for me. Um, God is all-knowing. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to know everything. But I am to be like God. Can we be like God? The answer is yes and no. Uh, God. We have been given His nature if you are a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Christ, the Bible says you're born again. You're born of God. And when you were born of God, you were given his nature. That's a part of you now. We call it a new nature. You still have an old nature. We talked about that last time. We've talked about it several times where a believer has two natures, an old nature and a new nature. 
a, a capacity. Nature is considered a capacity. A capacity, an old nature, to please self, to focus on me, what I want, what makes me happy. And the new nature is a capacity to please God. And uh, to live in that new nature, it's got to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it's going to happen. I cannot do that in my own strength. So we are to follow God's example as dearly loved children. We're His children. We have His nature. We're supposed to resemble Him in some way. We're supposed to be chip off the old block. So, how can we do this? Well, there's a few things Scripture has to say. First Peter one chapter, uh, chapter one verses fifteen and sixteen. Peter says, "But just as He who calls you is holy." So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's a hard one. And sometimes people just, oh, that's not possible. God is holy. What does that mean? It means he's totally set apart from sin and evil. And God, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God set you apart from sin. And he made you holy. He cleansed you. He washed you of your sin. And you were spiritually clean. And you were made holy. You were made righteous. That's your position. And come back to the other side. That's the problem. We have two natures. And we can live in either capacity. An unbeliever, a non-Christian only has one choice. They can't please God. They're outside of that. They are not connected with God. They're, they do not have the nature. And so they, there's only one for, focus. No matter how hard they try, it's without God. So being holy isn't about being like totally like God. It's just being clean. It's just being cleansed by God and set apart for Him. Um, and it's in the Bible, to be holy always means to be set apart for service. To serve God and his purpose, to serve God and his mission. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's going to be important today, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of our service today. And one of the things that's going to be important is that we, if, if you participate in communion, that, that sin is confessed and forgiven. Doesn't doesn't mean like you you're up here. It just means you're washed. That's all. Just clean, spiritually clean. Uh, Matthew five forty eight. Jesus gave this instructions: Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that's a pretty high standard. Well, he's not talking about perfectionism. This is a high moral standard. Uh, that's the standard. It's impossible, but. That's what the goal is. It's not way down here. It's up here. It's not perfectionism. We are all created with limitations. We get messed up on being perfect. Like, I've got to look perfect. I've got to have perfect skin. I've got to, have all, I've got to be a perfect athlete, or I've got to be a perfect artist or something. We all have physical, human, mental, emotional limitations. Um, but in our behavior, we are to strive. Uh, Luke 6.36, be merciful as your Father is merciful. 
Well, that's God is a God of mercy, and, and he's, he wants us to be merciful to other people. We have experienced mercy because of what Jesus did for us, and he wants us to extend mercy, a kindness instead of a judgment toward others. Uh, 1 John 5, 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says this, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And so this is another thing about we learn about God, God is light, and there's no darkness in him, no spiritual darkness. And we ought to be people of light, not people of darkness. This is about being in the truth and walking in the truth. And in Psalm 119, it the scripture speaks of the word of God shining as a spotlight on our path, lights the way for us, and we ought to walk in that way, walk in the light. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. If we've got a double life going off, we're just, we're just lying. Uh, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. And I can't see the bottom of that. I'm sh- the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Um, so we are to follow God's example as dearly loved children. And we need to bear a resemblance to our relationship with God. First uh, uh, John 4, 7 through 10, one more passage dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god so if we're going to uh, follow god if we're going to be imitators of god god is loving and he loves people he loves others and we are to love everyone who loves is born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god this is a test but god is love It's another thing about God. We learn about the character of God. And we can be loving because of what he's done in our lives. On my own, I'm just pretty self-centered. What makes me happy. That's what I do kind of naturally. But I have the ability for God's love. The nature God has given to me being born again. I have the ability for God's love to flow through me to other people if I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go on to verse 2. Live like the sun, and it just says, and walk in the way of love. If we're going to follow God and walk in the way of love, just as Christ, here's the example, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So, Jesus loved us. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's an example of God's love. That's an example of Jesus' love. Now, here's a peculiar phrase here. As a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That's kind of outside of what you hear in everyday language, isn't it? A fragrant. How can somebody be a fragrant? Who wants to think about smelling? Does your life smell like a fragrant offering? Um, in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices and offerings to God. In the book of Leviticus, 
But these were sacrifices different than sin offerings. They weren't uh, sacrifices made to cover sin. They were like extra things. And uh, they could be a meal offering or a drink offering and uh, different things that would be put on the altar and oil could be put on it. And or to, to really get uh, fragrance, uh, frankincense could be put on it. And the idea was it was put on the altar and smoke went up to heaven. And it, because of the worshiper's heart was right, God would be well pleased with the sacrifice. It was called a, had a fragrant aroma. The Bible in the New Testament speaks of uh, Jesus being a fragrant aroma to God. That God was well pleased with the sacrifice that Jesus made. Um, so live like the sun. We're to walk in the way of love. And uh, Matthew 22 reminds us of what Jesus instructed and how Jesus lived. So what does it mean to walk in the way of love? First and greatest commandment. And so Jesus instructs us. And everybody in the world, what's the most important thing to do in all of life? And it's to, it's to love God first. It's to have him be the highest priority with our entire lives. And that's what Jesus lived out. He demonstrated what that would look like. But he gave that instruction to us. If we walk in the way of love, then we need to love God first. It's the highest priority. Not just another thing to do. Oh yeah, I need to do this. This is really a a lifestyle of worship. It's a motive for, for living. Uh, we, we do it with worship when we uh, pr- sing praises, when we say thank you, God. We do it when we trust him first. Uh, it's loving God. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, Jesus then, if we're going to walk in the way of love... Jesus says, love God first, and then love people second. And then he also says, as yourself. And by the way, there's an assumption there that you're going to love yourself. It's not going to be bad. It's a proper self-love, a proper self-care that you're smart enough to know that you need rest, and you're smart enough to know that you need to have a proper nutrition in your life. If you're going to be, and maybe in our day and age, we need exercise because... We, a lot of things we do don't require much exercise, so we have to be intentional, just about caring for self. You know, like smart enough to know to go to the doctor when you need it instead of like hating yourself and doing nothing. That's a proper self-care. So we need to love God, love others, and yeah, take care of yourselves. John thirteen thirty four and 35, the way of love, again, a new command Jesus said, I give you. This is to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Here's the key in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is Jesus' evangelism strategy for the church. We often think we have better ways to do this. Nope, this is it. It's how you treat each other. It's how you treat people. It's not about... uh, separating and, you know, gossip and these people aren't cool, these people don't like me, these, that's, 
we get divisive and we lower the value of people and the body of Christ. It's about loving one another. And uh, John fourteen fifteen, the way of Jesus, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Keeping the commands of Jesus. Keeping all of the commands of God. If that's all there is, that would be rule keeping. If it's just keeping the commands. Rule keeping. And that's dead religion. Relationship with Jesus. In relationship with Jesus. If this is important to you, then follow my instructions. Obey what I say. Because of uh, what Jesus has done for us because of who God is and because of what he's done for us, because of his sacrifice, because of his love, because of his forgiveness, because of his grace, because of his mercy. He wants us to respond out of our own free will. It's up to you. It's your choice. He said, if you love me, keep my commands. Uh, The question for us is my life a fragrant aroma to God or a disgusting odor? It's just a good way to think about this for a minute. What do you think? As God looks at you, and if, if uh, is pleasing to God, would your life be a fragrant aroma? Um, so uh, here's some suggestions if, if, uh, if you're interested in Growing in this area of becoming a fragrant aroma to God. Um, here's some of the values that God has. Romans 12.1, for example. Um, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, offering yourselves worship. Uh, Offering your bodies, offering yourselves totally to God is pleasing to Him. It's a sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And saying, God, I'm all yours. I surrender. I give you all my body parts. I give you my mind. I give you my heart. I give you my stuff. That's a sacrifice for 18 The Apostle Paul uh, writes a thank you note to those who have given a gift. And he says, I've received a full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts, the financial gifts you sent, they are, it was gold, by the way, they are fragrant, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Financial giving is one of those sacrifices to God that's well-pleasing to Him. If you're stingy with God, it may not be well-pleasing to Him. He's looking for generous hearts. Another one is Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. The writer of Hebrews says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. With such sacrifice, God is well pleased. Kind of a little description of a... ...about our words and that we 
we offer words of praise to God and we offer words of thanksgiving to God as part of it. And uh, doing good things in response to the good things God has done for us. When that's our motive, uh, that is pleasing to God. It's a sacrifice pleasing to God. And when we share with others, when we're generous with other people, that pleases God. Those are some things that remind us of the heart of God. And walking in the path of love can only happen as, a, as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own strength. Uh, secondly, okay, verses 3 through 7. Walking away. So we're supposed to walk in a way uh, to follow God, to walk in the way of love. Secondly, walk in a way that is distinctively different than the world. Verses 3 through 7. First, beware... Sexual immorality is inappropriate for a child of God. Verse 3, Paul writes, But among you there must not be a hint, even a hint of sexual immorality. It's not appropriate for a child of God. If you're to bear the resemblance of your father, if you're to be holy, if you're to, be, if you're to walk in the light, then there are certain things that are inappropriate What is sexual immorality? Well, thanks for asking. It's sexual activity outside of a loving relationship between one man and one woman who are given to each other in marriage. It's it's this general word that covers it all outside. There's one area that God has designed for one relationship that God has designed for sexual activity, and it is between husband and wife. Instructions about how to love your mate and relate to your mate. And uh, the word for sexual immorality in, in the New Testament is pornea. It refers to premarital sex, it refers to extramarital sex, it refers to self-sex, it it refers to homosexual sex, it refers to sex with a prostitute, sex with an animal, and rape, just to name a few. The Bible says that there isn't anything in there that should even be a hint among Christ followers. I recently read... uh, in a recent study conducted by ChristianMingle.com, I don't know if they're experts or not. But according to ChristianMingle.com, Christian singles between the ages of 18 and 59 were asked, would you have sex before marriage? The response, 63% of single about Christian Mingle, because I don't know that they're necessarily, but they have asked a good question, people who profess to follow Christ. And... Um, as I just look at the world that I see and the Christian relationships that I see, this doesn't surprise me at all. 63% indicated they could be okay with this. In response to this survey, uh, Kenny Luck, who wrote Sexual Atheism, he says, in my 30 years of youth and adult ministry, it, this is an 
unfiltered, direct, and honest as a question and answer can be. In practice, Christian young adults have become sexual atheists. In other words, God has nothing to say to them on the subject of any consequence or at least anything meaningful enough to dissuade them from following their own course of conduct. It is the ultimate oxymoron. A person who at once believes in a wise, sovereign, and loving God who created them and all things can also believe simultaneously he should not, cannot, or will not inform their thinking or living sexually. Um... I think we have a problem in the church. I'm not just talking about the bridge. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. I think there's really become a low view about sexuality in the church. Let's go on to the next part verse, in verse 3. Beware, impurity is corrupting for a child of God. Impurity. What's impurity? It's about our thought life. Impurity, is a, it's, it's a sexual connotation here. It's about sexual lust, which, which uh, Jesus explains is about uh, carrying out really in your mind the whole sexual activity. Uh, and another realm of impurity would fall in the area of fantasy. For example, pornography is really big, and historically it's been really big among males. And, and in the last few years... It's really risen high among females. The whole area of pornography. You probably know what I'm talking about. And not only that, for females, um, fantasy is another area where the imagination um, focuses on impure thoughts. It's just as a possibility. So uh, the Apostle Paul says... um, There must not be a hint of sexual immorality. There must not be a hint of any kind of impurity. Uh, Personally, I think... Let me just say, I have a lot of experience with pornography. I'm very sad about that. I wish I could go back and redo my life. But pornography is the church because there are so many people paralyzed spiritually. Uh... One of the reasons God doesn't answer prayer sometimes is the church is paralyzed. Just caught. What if we just call the moratorium on pornography? Okay, we're going to stop now. What kind of change would that be? What would that mean to your life or what would it mean to the life of the church? What if we all agreed that we wanted to be holy people? That we wanted to be separated to God, for God? Okay, got to go on. Verse 3. Beware, greed is unfitting for a child of God. Greed is unfitting for a child of God. And he says, shouldn't be a hint of greed. So he switches proper for God's now to this kind of a materialism focus, greed, wanting more and more of what we have enough already. The problem is greed is not being satisfied with God's provision for our life. Greed is the opposite of contentment. 
where we say contentment is God I'm satisfied in my heart I'm satisfied with what you've given me I'm thankful for what you've given me thank you the greed is saying oh I need to have more I need to have just one more thing Beware, greed is unfitting for a child of God. In verse 4, beware, crude language and foul mouth humor are out of bounds for a child of God. And so Paul writes, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. This is something, you know, I grew up saying all the four-letter words, of course, for the first time. And I could say every word imaginable in anger and uh, sometimes when I play golf with people I say one of the greatest tests of my conversion is I can play a whole round without swearing Um, but language is a big deal to God because Jesus said it's an overflow of our hearts and I know we get into this generational thing sometimes You know, I remember how my father's generation kind of talked down to my generation about everything. And I don't want to talk down, but boy, I just see in the church language gets really sloppy sometimes among Christ followers. It's just kind of okay now. Somebody said it was okay to use, you know, bathroom language all the time, that we can tell jokes and laugh and do postings and whatever. And social media, there's God. I just want to raise that standard a little bit. I want us to think about what we say, what we laugh at, uh, what, what, what's called humor. Humor is great. God gave us humor. He wants us to laugh. It's a great medicine. What do we laugh at? It says something about our hearts. Let's go on. Verse 4, know, know that words of thanksgiving are a fitting replacement for crude words. Paul says, but rather, instead of all of this crude language, let's just be thankful. Let's be with thanksgiving. Teach our kids to say thank you. Train them up to say thank you. Teach yourselves to be thankful as a substitute. For your first idea that comes to your mind. Fit in. And don't use obscenities and jokes just to fit in. Because that's what happens. You know, it's like we're going to try to fit in with our culture. So that we can identify and talk with them. Well, yeah, you do want to be able to find ways to build relationships. And develop rapport with your culture. That's really, really good. How far does it take you? I'm not setting your standards. I just want you to think seriously about what God's word says. And if you aren't sure what it should be, if you have, ask God. Let him help you identify if, if your speech is out of line. Words of thanksgiving are fitting. It's an act of worship. Verses 5 through 7. It's the last section here. Warning. Don't emulate the wrong role models whose lifestyles are condemned to hell. That's just pretty straightforward. Verse 5. 
For of the idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so Paul talks about an immoral person. What is he saying? Is he talking about a Christian? Actually, he's not. He's talking about somebody who by nature is immoral and they do not have another nature. He's talking about an unbeliever. Um, in talking about somebody, uh, an impure person, impure by nature, not a Christian, not born again, given a new nature, a greedy person by nature, not a Christian. So can Christians be immoral? Yes. Can Christians have impurity? Yes. Can Christians be greedy? Yes. That's the whole point. It's not appropriate, Paul says. You're, it's so confusing to live like that. And uh, can a Christian be forgiven? Absolutely. Can a, can a Christian be made holy again? Yes, absolutely. That's why God has given us a provision for our sin as followers of Christ. Um, but let's be reminded, there are people, probably some of your friends, are going to be condemned to hell because they don't know the truth. Because they are in a lifestyle and they don't have light in their lives. Um, Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. There will be a judgment. God is just. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's been kind, he forgives, he's also very just, and he's made it very He will judge sinners. So, uh, he also says in verse 7, Therefore, do not be partners with them. Don't have a partnership with uh, immoral people. Don't have a partnership. Don't participate. Don't belong to this activity, this sin. Uh, Do not be partners with them. Why? First of all, pursuing immorality, impurity, and greed offends the character of God. It offends the character of God. It doesn't fit. In fact, um, in the 1 Corinthians 11, where we have the communion passage, where we have the teaching about uh, the Lord's Supper and what, what Jesus did on his last night, and the Apostle Paul instituted the Lord's Supper, and he, he gave bread, and he gave the wine, he gave thanks, and they celebrated together. And he said, some of you sleep and some of you are sick because of your disobedience. God sometimes disobeys his, uh, he sometimes disciplines his children. In, in Corinth, he took some believers home early. They were his children. And they were sort of like messing up the whole testimony of Christ. And he said, some of you are sick, and it's possible that there can be illness that goes with disobedience. I'm not the judge. I don't decide when that happens. I just know it's possible, okay? 
Secondly, pursuing immorality, impurity, and greed confuses the gospel message to our world. It confuses the gospel message. Sloppy living on our part just plain confuses people about Jesus, who he is, and what he stands for. If sloppy behavior among friends who don't know Jesus they look at your life, what is it that you have to offer? Because you don't seem to be much different. So final application. Do my thoughts, actions, words enhance Christ and the gospel message or do they distract others from Christ and distort the gospel message? Does my life attract people to Jesus or does it confuse them? Does it distort the message, makes it unclear to people? And so uh, it's important that we watch where we walk. We have a choice, how we live. And if you want to follow Christ, tell him that. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. If you need to confess sin, do that and break communion um, holy total worship and to honor God. And we have this promise in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. It's a, this is to Christians. It does not apply to unbelievers. This is not about salvation. This is God's provision for His children to get up when they fall down and to be Washed off again, sort of like being hosed off to be clean and to be set apart again to serve God. So um, we're going to um, take a time for communion right now. And I'd just like us to bow our heads and bow our hearts together before God and just reflect a little bit about what we've talked about this morning The Bible says when we take communion that we are to examine our lives beforehand. We, we need it continually. It's God's provision. It's not like we're going to have it all together. It's just a day-by-day thing. If you need to ask God to forgive you 10 times a day or 20 times a day, just keep walking. If you fall down, you get back up. We have to be careful we don't create our own standards and, and think, well, I, I really shouldn't have to do it that many times. If there are things in your life, maybe it's your speech, your words, your idea of humor needs to be readjusted, realigned. Maybe it's your thought life. You know it's disappointing to God. Maybe it's some of your behavior. Maybe it's unkindness. Maybe it's something else. Just talk to God privately. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to cleanse you. And the absolute amazing thing is we have this promise that He will forgive us and purify us of all unrighteousness. We don't deserve it. Thank you, God, for forgiveness.
I want to thank you also, God, for the reminder today as we celebrate communion, as we take the bread and we take the cup. We thank you for the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for the cup that reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. His life given for us. His death in our place. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiveness. And Father, it's my prayer that you will empower us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may walk in your strength and do the things that are pleasing to you. For Jesus' sake, amen.